First John, we're in chapter 2 this evening, and thinking about arrows, as I have been thinking about archery, bow and arrow. Um, some of you know me well, I've shot um, uh, archery a lot in my life. I've shot a little bit of competition archery, and some small community archery. I've hunted um, animals, um, groceries in the woods and the mountains with a bow and arrow. I like to show my boys how to shoot bow and arrow and teach them the ways of the outdoors and, and being a good hunter and sportsman. And even this fall, James is now old enough, he gets to accompany dad on his first hunt. And he gets to observe and go along. So in the end of October, James and I are preparing and excited for that. I can remember when I was 10 years old. And I went on my first official mountain hunt with my dad. We spent a week in the Cascade, uh, well, the eastern, northeastern mountains of Washington State. Nestled right in the corner between Idaho and Canada, we were hunting mule deer and we were avoiding bears. All right? Mostly black bear up there, but it wasn't all uncommon to have a grizzly around in the mountains from time to time. And in preparation for this, in most of my life, at ten, up to 10 years old, I learned a lot about the outdoors. My parents would teach me things, my dad in particular and my grandfather would teach me things about how to be careful around certain animals, what sign to watch for, how to prepare, things to pack in your backpack, survival equipment, first aid equipment, food, water, things to stay warm, how to layer properly. You learn these things, and in my household, we learn these things from a young age. All these things that dad taught me to be prepared for the dangers in the mountain. Then I remember being on this first hunt, and I've shared this with some of you before, and it came a point in time where I was no longer shadowing only steps behind my dad. There came a time when dad felt it necessary to say, David, you see this barbed wire fence? Yeah, I see it. We're talking in the mountains here, free-range cattle old barbed wire fence up the top of the mountain, pine trees everywhere, out in the middle of nowhere, only logging roads miles away. Dad says, follow this fence row. I'm going to be on this side of, the, of the, uh, uh, the top of the mountain here, the ridge line, and you're going to be on this side. You're going to follow this fence row, and I'll meet you somewhere he's up that way. Just keep going that way. I'll catch up to you. Okay, all right. Sounded like a good plan. Get to be by myself. And Dad moved off through the woods until he was no longer in sight. I thought, this is pretty good. I got this. Oh, it only took me about 10 steps. Oh, no. The fence was broken down, laying down in the dirt, and it didn't continue. He didn't know that. I didn't know that, but there was no fence to follow anymore. I was left by myself. I had been prepared, but I was scared. I was terrified. Where did dad go? Will he ever meet me again? Will I ever catch up to him? Will, will, will I, am I lost out here forever? I was terrified. You know, we have been looking together for quite some time in 1 John. And the Apostle John is exposing and has been working to expose us to the presence or expose the existence and the presence and activities of false teachers in these end days. 
John's been describing them. He teaches us their mode of operation. He teaches us how to identify them. He gives us questions we should ask them. And he tells us to be careful. And he tells us how to be prepared to defend our faith and understand what's truth and what's false. John also teaches us how God, listen to this, provides protection for believers. Isn't it a comforting thing when you know that you have a source of protection from harm? You know, we live a day in a day and age where I don't know that you can purchase a vehicle at all without an airbag in it today, right? It's something that's common day for us. There are other protection devices that are set up. There's other things in life that we have set up um, to, in order to protect ourselves in day-to-day living. My dad had taught me and trained me and given me tools specifically for protection in the mountains of Washington while we were hunting. Tools that I could use and should use when necessary when he was not with me to be there to protect me himself. My dad did not leave me defenseless and alone to the dangers of the mountain. And in a very similar way, God does not leave his loved ones to the mercy of the enemy. He doesn't do that. He doesn't leave us um, defenseless to the enemy, in, in this case false teachers, Satan, without equipping us with the right provisions and the right tools to be able to withstand the temptation, to withstand the attacks of Satan. God provides believers with resources. And the first resource we see, John gives us, it, that, that I believe this passage teaches us in chapter 2 and verse 24. In fact, 24 and verse 26. So if you have your Bibles, you should have them open by now to 1 John chapter 2, and it'd be helpful to look down, join me in verse 24. John writes this, Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. Let's skip verse 25. We'll come back to it. We're not going to leave it alone. But look down at verse 26. It says, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Being seduced by false teachers is a regular mode of operation. We've studied this in the verses before. If you were to let your eyes wander over and read through real quickly, verses 18 through up to our text this evening, 18 all the way up through 23, you'd be reminded of some of the tactics and the things that we were to be mindful of and and how the Lord has given us ways to be able to identify false teachers, those who mean us harm. We see in verses 24 and 26 the, the preservation of the Scriptures. The preservation of the Scriptures. Christ himself was the perfect example for us in that when he was tempted in the wilderness, do you remember what he did? When Jesus Christ himself was tempted in the wilderness, he met each temptation with Scripture, didn't he? The Lord himself Um, demonstrated this to us. He used Scripture himself. Not only does the Word of God protect the believer from sin, that God's Word does that, it protects us from sin, but it also protects us from false teaching. It protects us from from those who might cause us to, to, to believe a false gospel, those who would not preach and teach truth. The Scriptures protect us from false teaching as well. Look back at verse 24. It says, that which you have heard from the beginning. This was the gospel message first preached to them by John. 
perhaps by the Apostle Paul and, and, and other gospel preachers as well, but the, the message was that by which they were saved. It was by that message. And so speaking to these believers as children in a gentle, comforting, encouraging way, John's writing these believers in a time of false teachers who were being, who were, um, false teachers were attempting to seduce them, and he writes to them to encourage them. He says, don't be afraid. Remember that which I have preached to you. Remember the gospel that I have shared to you and that you have learned and that which by that gospel you have come to know Christ is your Savior. Don't forget that basic foundational truth. Nothing should, should lead you astray. You should stick to that truth that you know to be true. In fact, go back to Romans for a moment and, and read about this truth. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. This is the gospel he wants them to remember. This is the encouragement he gives them. In chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. To anyone that believeth. Any of John's readers, he reminds us that, that it is the power of the gospel that saves. Not the false teaching of anyone else. Later in Romans chapter 10, in, and in uh, verse, beginning in verse 8, look at the passage there, speaking of the gospel that he's calling them to remember. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the same gospel. The only true gospel that John is reminding them of. He says, the gospel that you received, that you have heard from the beginning, don't forget this. Let that encourage you and strengthen you. Let that be the measuring stick on which you compare any other teaching. Don't forget the gospel that you have heard from the beginning. And by the way, this message of the gospel that John's readers would have been reminded of and believed this message predated the Gnostics, who ended up coming later. Gnosticism was, was introduced before the writing of John, but at that time, this is being introduced into the culture, and it was working to try and deceive believers. And so John is writing here, and he says, no, 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 no. Don't be confused. Remember the gospel. Remember that which I preach, that you might come to know Christ is your Savior. It's the same message, the original saving message, which abiding in them, remember we talked about this, would enable them to, as the scripture says, continue in the Son and in the Father. The, the series title that I've given is Light, or excuse me, Life, Light, and Love. All of these come from the abiding, continual relationship with our Lord. And this is what John is reminding them of here. Dear Christians, the security of the believer, the security, the surety of our salvation is a blessed fact 
of the gospel, grounded in the infallible promises of God's word. Infallible, without error. There's no mistake like, oops, we just believed the wrong gospel. Is it true, though? If you ever find yourself doubting that, go over to this passage, 1 Peter. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 and remind yourself of this. And beside, oh, excuse me, that's 2 Peter. How about 1 Peter? Chapter 1 and verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, the, the salvation and the security of the gospel is final, it's forever, it's eternal. That's the hope we can cling to. Anyone that would te teach a gospel different than what God's word says it is, is to be cast away and at its faults. The word of God is the sword of the spirit as well. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, the word of God, the scriptures are, are listed as a sword, a weapon. And the interesting thing about a sword is a sword may be used on both the offensive, the attacking, the striking, as well as the defensive. It is both an offensive and a defensive weapon, the sword is. It is for the protection of believers. And what good it would be, how great it would be if Christians would purpose to increase and to hone their skills on how we wield the sword of the Lord, how we use the scriptures as an offensive and defensive weapon that God has provided. You're like, I, I, I'd like that training program. I'd like to learn how to do that. Then get to know God's word. Spend time under biblical teaching that accurately teaches and explains God's word and helps us to become familiar with it. That's how we learn to wield the powerful sword in an effective way. Then look at verse 26, chapter 2, verse John. It says, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Verse 26 indicates that seducers or deceivers were, listen to this, actively trying and will actively try and attempt to lead the believer astray. John isn't saying that, you know, well, one day, you never know. You might just have a false teacher that tries to seduce the church, uh, tries to seduce Christians. He says, they are doing this now. They're working to do this now, and they will continue to do this now. You can note the verse does not suggest that they are necessarily successful in their seductive, seducing, deceiving tactics and methods. Oh, there are times when they are successful and there are weaker brothers and sisters in Christ that, that are deceived. Maybe some that aren't so weak, some strong that, are, that, that let their guard down and are not aware and are seduced, but the, the verse indicates that, yes, they will try, but it is not a guarantee that they will succeed, and that is a hope in and of itself, encouragement. John wrote this epistle for the very purpose of um, fortifying its readers. First John is a, is a tremendous epistle. It's a wonderful letter. M months ago, I had challenged you all I, um, to consider endeavoring to read through the epistle of First John just in one week. 
Just to go through all of 1 John, there's, there's five, five neat little divisions and chapters in our English transliteration, one a day, and, just, and then it gives you two, wake, two, two days buffer through the week to just read through it in its entirety. And when you do, you get that big picture of how encouraging the little letter of 1 John is. Doubts about salvation, concerns about apostasy, wondering if we will be misguided or mistaught, doubts about the, 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 our eternal security and all these things. You read 1 John, you'll be greatly encouraged. That's what John was writing for. It was for the purpose of not only encouraging, but fortifying his readers against these attempts of false teachers and deceivers. And each one of you should be aware not only of the presence of, not only should we be, aware, we be aware of the presence and existence of false teachers today, but also of the teachings and the purposes of false teachers. Their methods, tactics, and, and, and ways and things in which they would teach. And when these are compared, if you wonder, well, how do we know? I need a list, Pastor. What is, what is a list of false teachers today? Give me names to avoid. What are the books I shouldn't read? And, and in many cases, I would love to grant wisdom on that and pass on some experience and some insight into those things. But what's more important to that is, is the fact that individual Christians get into God's Word themselves, and they know the truth, you learn the truth so well that you can readily identify what is not truth. And when these things, these false teachings, when these things that were presented with are compared with the written Word of God, a diligent student of the Scriptures, a believer with the power of the Holy Spirit that we've been given, has the ability to discern truth. Isn't that fantastic? Every one of you as believer, if you're a born-again Christian, possesses the ability to be a discerner of things when compared with Scripture and led of the Spirit of God. Remember, false teachers do use the Scriptures to support their, teacher, their, their teaching. False teaching is not always like, wow, yeah, saw that one coming a mile away. False teaching, by and large, mostly is done in a way that claims Scripture. Remember I shared this before. A lot of times it begins, uh, cults and, and, and things will begin with a teacher asserting a, a text. They'll extrapolate at least one verse or one portion of Scripture in one area, and then they'll build their theology and their teaching around that as opposed to comparing Scripture with Scripture and so on and so forth and looking at the whole of the context. Don't be fooled. Satan also quoted from Scripture, but Christ responded in this way. In fact, if you looked at Matthew chapter 4 and verse 7, you might write this in your margin next to uh, the passage we're studying now, but Matthew chapter 4 and verse 7, we see that Christ responded this way. He said, these are the words of our Lord, it is written again, our Lord said. When being deceived, he says, it is written again. And what that means and what, the, what, the, what he's saying there is, 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 well, I want you to take note of the word again in Matthew 4, 7. The word again there. This is the focus of that. Scripture must be compared with Scripture. Someone wants to quote a, quote a passage of Scripture, and you might be doubtful. I don't, I don't know if that's what that passage is saying. What do we do? We do as our Lord said here, it is written again, and we go and look and say, hey, does the rest of Scripture support this idea, this teaching? 
Is this the whole of Scripture with a right interpretation of it? The Word of God, here's a, here's a fact that you can take to the bank. The Word of God is without error. And the Word of God being without error means it never contradicts itself. So when we find ourselves in a, in a passage that seems to be a little, bit, a little bit vague and a little bit confusing, then we go and we search other passages that help to explain that passage. Does that make sense? So we, the Scriptures, understanding they do not contradict themselves, we use Scripture compared to Scripture when we are trying to decide if there is false teaching going on. Good interpretation of Scripture must always be done in light of Scripture. Scripture supports itself. That's the beauty of, of God's Word and the help that we have in studying. So in discerning truth from error in an individual, in one who might be teaching a false doctrine or, or seeking to seduce believers in something that is wrong, and discerning truth from error in someone, don't hesitate to ask some questions. Let me give you a couple of questions that are helpful. Some questions that are helpful when you're wondering if somebody has an accurate theology and, and clearly understands the Scriptures in a way that, that, that is trustworthy in preaching, teaching God's Word. Here's some helpful questions. Things like this. Remember, remember I told you earlier we ask somebody we might think to be a false teacher, it would be good to ask individuals, what, what do you believe about the Scriptures? Tell me what you know about God's Word. Not all of what God's Word says, but what do you believe about the Bible as a whole? Questions like this. Do you believe the Scriptures are inspired? Do you believe that they are inspired by the Word of God, that they're the very words of God to us? The answer to that type of question will reveal much. Another question would be, is it inerrant in all areas? Areas. Ask them, do you believe as I do that the Bible is correct everywhere without any error? And the answer to that question will reveal much. Another excellent question to ask, and certainly one of the shortlist questions that I would encourage anyone to ask in seeking to learn about a church that they might unite with would be this one, is do you believe the Word of God is authoritative? Do you believe that the Word of God is our final and only authority? The Word of God. The answer to that will reveal much. Here's another one. Who can interpret the Word of God? This, this begins to tear away other religions and, and cult-like practices and, and in some where, that would believe in, in a papal authority that, that it is only a priest, it is, it is only a, a certain appointed man of God that can interpret Scripture. Dear friends, if you know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, you have the mighty privilege and ability to interpret Scripture for yourselves. Questions that can be asked. This is the preservation of Scripture that we see in verses 24 and 26. But let's go back and look at 25. We skipped that one for a minute. Let's quickly look at verse 25. John writes, And this is the promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. Verse 24 contained the promise that if the time-proven word of God abides in the believer... He or she will uh, abide in the Son. 
That's in verse 24, the truth there. So the same verb is translated, the same original verb is translated abide, it's translated remain, it's translated continue in this verse. Three different times meaning the same thing here. To abide, to remain, to continue. So this now in verse 25, hang with me. So look at verse 25. It says this, that word there in verse 25, can grammatically refer to the abiding relationship of verse 24 or to eternal life of verse 25. The end result is virtually the same. Wherever you land on that, it is virtually the same. Eternal life and abiding in Christ and one of the same thing. So the eternal life is not something awaiting you at the end of this life. It's not like eternal life is something that I'm going to obtain someday when I pass from this world. No, eternal life is yours if you're a believer here tonight. It is yours right now. It was begun. You became a... a, um, Uh, a receiver, you became a possessor of the gift of eternal life from the very moment that you were saved, and it will continue from that point throughout all eternity. Dear Christian, your eternal life, your salvation is is as secure as God himself. That's the encouragement that John is writing about here. In a, in a time when there are false teachers, in a time when there is um, people t- seeking to deceive, we can remember that the Lord our God has prepared us and equipped us in providing and preserving His Scriptures and giving us the Scriptures in the promise of our salvation, as verse 25 says, but then also in the presence of, of the Holy Spirit in verse 27. Verse 27 says this, but the anointing, i stop there for a second. You see that word anointing? Do any of you remember referencing that in the weeks past? I referenced it when you look back verse 20, uh, let's see here, verse 20. But you have an unction. You remember? Unction and anointing meaning the same thing here. These two different words being used. In this case, we finally see this unction in the word anointing. So, not only has God given to the believer his word as a defense against the assaulting barrage of false teaching and the assurance of completed salvation to encourage, he has also provided the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit to strengthen and to guide and to instruct believers. So, continue in verse 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaching you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. You say, well, pastor, you're preaching yourself out of a, out of a work here. 
No man needs another man to explain Scripture to him. You're like, well, what do we do with discipleship? What do we do with Sunday school teachers? What do we do with pastors? And we go to Ephesians chapter 4, and we understand that it is God's specific purpose for those offices, for equipping and building up his church. But the fact remains that every believer has the ability to interpret on their own before the Lord the Scriptures because of the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. Believers are indwelt by the Spirit. Verse 26 warns of those who try to seduce the believer. But in verse 27, verse 27 points to God's provision for protection, namely the presence, the indwelling, the taking up residence of the Holy Spirit within the believer. But the anointing. Remember, same word as unction. That fun word in verse 20, which ye have received of him abideth in you. King James says ye, you. It's emphatic here. As for you, you have an anointing. Every believer is permanently indwelt by the Spirit the moment he or she trusts Christ as Savior. Even when Paul was writing to the carnal Christians in Corinth, even them, they were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. The indwelling Holy Spirit's presence serves to fortify the believer against false teachers. That's another provision the Lord has given us. The preservation of the scriptures, the security and the hope of our salvation rooted in the true gospel and then the presence of the Spirit in our lives. The believers are taught by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a number of ministries and one of them, it's beautiful, one of the beautiful ministries that the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers is to be taught by the Spirit. That's the teacher here that we see. The Holy Spirit being our teacher. It teacheth you all things. The things that we've been taught. So the same anointing teacheth you all things. That's right. The Holy Spirit is our teacher, our schoolmaster, capital T, teacher. Jesus promised this in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 16 and verse 13. Jesus said, Howbeit, when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear. That shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit is our teacher and provides understanding. We possess that. That is something the world does not have. It would be incredibly appropriate to give thanks to God in prayer. Lord, thank you for the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because he is the believer's teacher, because he's our teacher as Christians, we need not that any man teach us. This simply means that believers are not dependent on the words, on the writings, we're not dependent on the explanations of any one person, church, cult, or anything else. This means we do not look to some official interpreter of the word, 
but that because of the Spirit's work in our lives, each and every one of us has the privilege to open God's Word and interpret it for ourselves. And it ought to be right. It ought to be compared with Scripture. And a wise believer recognizes God's place and appointment for those who would teach us and come alongside us and help us understand. But the final authority is on God's Word and what it says. And it is our individual responsibility to decide to trust and to follow God's Word and develop convictions that come from God's Word. While the pastors and teachers are gifts of God to His church, by the way, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14 remind us of this, and, and may be used of the Spirit to accomplish His Word, truth comes from the Word of God. These are the encouraging things from 1 John. Just like walking that ridge line, little patches of snow here and there. It was cold, it was crisp, I could see my breath, but I couldn't see my father. The fence dropped off, and there was a point in time where I remembered, oh, now's the time for me to remember all the things that dad taught me. Now's the time to remember. The fence was headed this direction. The ridge goes this direction. I've been given provisions and tools for all the things I need. I know my father won't leave me. And I kept walking and walking and walking. Pretty soon, Dad? I don't care if it scares a deer at this point. Dad? Right here, steps out from behind a tree. He was up there just a few ways, a little ways. Just like my Father had equipped me with provisions and tools, our Father in Heaven has given us the provisions and tools for this life, for practice and faith now. Don't be deceived. Compare it with the true gospel and be encouraged. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I, I thank You for Your provisions to protect us from the attacks of false teachers. May these believers, may this church, Calvary Baptist, each and every one of the Christians here tonight, may, may these Christians be strengthened and encouraged in the knowledge of your provision, in the knowledge of your promise, and in the knowledge of the permanence of salvation. Encourage each one here tonight. Strengthen them. Help them to not be running around aimlessly in fear that they are going to be easily deceived. We ought to be prudently discerning about what we are taught. We ought to compare things with the Scripture. But we don't have a reason to be fearful of losing our salvation, and we don't have a, a, a reason to be fearful of being led astray when we are rooted in God's Word, Your Word. Encourage each and every one of us this evening, Lord. Protect us. Thank you for Scripture and salvation. And in Jesus' name, amen.